Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We have an awesome show for you this week. We're going to talk about the interior of the Ford Mustang. This is the new generation of Mustang. Road test editor Zach Palmer sat in it. So we're going to talk to him here in just a minute. We also have news on the Cadillac CT5 Blackwing Refresh. I honestly can't believe these cars are already due for a refresh, but we're seeing some spy shots. We're going to talk about that because at the end of the day, talking about American muscle sedans, that's just a lot of fun. The Ace Cobra is back. The 911 GT2 RS may go hybrid. That's a rumor. And of course, there was an F1 race last weekend in Bahrain. We got to talk about that. Can anybody stop Max Verstappen? We're going to get into that. What have we been driving? The Kia EV6 electric car. I just uh, turned that over to news editor Joel Stocksdale. And in return, I got a Toyota Sienna. Really happy about both, but I am very sad to see that EV6 go. I loved every minute of driving it. So, uh, and actually, my long-term update on that is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we'll also talk about the BMW X7M60i and the Toyota Corolla Cross. Whew, that is a mouthful. I'm a little bit out of breath. Hey, we will spend some money. Road Test Editor Zach Palmer, welcome aboard. Thank you. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to get this show going. We got a lot of stuff from, uh, you know, high, high performance V8s, high performance hybrids, some racing. Uh, this uh, is already shaping up to be a pretty neat looking show, I think. All right, let's have some fun. You sat in the new Mustang. Uh, the interior is actually a pretty big story here because a lot of the, um, the new generation, uh, some of, I would say, almost like the critics have said, this isn't exactly a full new generation. It's more like a half generation. Ford's calling it an all new generation. We'll let the people fight that out in the comments and on the enthusiasts, like the forums and everything. But what was the interior like? That's a big, big selling point, if you will. Yeah. So, this was really the first chance that we got to uh, get into the Mustang. We've seen it from the outside. I've taken a lot of photos of it, seen it at the Detroit Auto Show, Chicago Auto Show, you name it. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, got to sit in the seat today, which is, which is pretty neat. And nice. like you were saying there, Greg, uh, yeah, this is where the huge changes are. So, the old Mustang was, you know, a pretty traditional design. You know, you had a a smallish screen in the center with uh, another smallish uh, screen in front of the driver as as the cluster. But this new one has a completely different uh, center stack, center console. Uh, it has basically a wall of screens in front of you. Uh, brings it thoroughly into the 2020s. And uh, yeah, the real the real thing that Ford was emphasizing here was showing off the new tech that they had for their screens. Uh, they're using this thing called Unreal Engine. Which, right. if you're, which if you're familiar with uh, a lot of video game engines and how those run to get super smooth graphics, uh, just next gen stuff that all appears, uh, you know, super high refresh rate, very responsive. Uh, it's, it's the same tech that they're using in this Mustang. Um, and it's, it's actually really neat because you get a lot of animations in the screen that, uh, well, it's stuff that I've really never seen before in, in any kind of a car. Um, the way that they're able to uh, really visualize the different drive modes, uh, look at things like the launch control being visualized in the screen, the way you're yes. able to move the car around on the screen. Um, there's, there's a lot of really high tech in here that I, I think would appeal to somebody who likes that really smooth video game uh, processing and whatnot. Um, but beyond the screen, of course, there's, there's, there's the interior in and of itself. Um, when I hopped in, it very much feels like a Mustang. Uh, you, you sit a little higher than you probably want to. Um, the uh, shifter is right there. Transmission just kind of falls to hand um, in that very cliche way of saying it, but that's, that's the way it is. Um, there's a lot fewer buttons all throughout. Um, frankly, there are more buttons on the steering wheel than there are throughout the whole cabin. I want to say there's probably like seven or eight buttons on each side of the steering wheel that you can swap through modes with the uh, adaptive cruise control, the lane keeping, like everything is on the steering wheel. And then in the center console, there's like five quick shortcut buttons uh, because all the climate control stuff is in the screen now. All the radio controls are in the screen now. Um, it's very, very pared down and uh, simplistic feeling inside. Uh, just because everything is rooted through that that giant wall of screens in front of you, um, but yeah, all of the normal things that you know you expect from a Mustang um, are, are there. You're you're sitting in it. You don't have a really great view out. Is it better than a Camaro? Totally. The visibility is is 
is slightly better than a Chevy Camaro. But uh, yeah, you still feel like you're sitting in an American muscle car. You still feel sort of like you're sitting in that previous gen car. If you remove all of the screens and uh, button ideas from it. So you're going to feel at home in inside the new Mustang uh, so long as you can adapt to those new screens, um, which we still haven't got to use while we're driving and whatnot. That'll be the real kicker. Uh, like how, how easy is this stuff to adjust on the fly? Is it intuitive? Is it not? Um, but I am, I am hopeful for right now because uh, just the actual performance of both the uh, screen, the infotainment screen and the digital cluster is uh, really high. And one little Easter egg that I was super excited to check out that I'll sort of finish with here is that uh, I got to see the Fox body gauges, um, which Ford is really high on about this for this generation. And I am too. I'm sure that everybody else that's seen them is as well. But uh, no, and they... They're really, really cool. You can just swap into them like two or three different ways throughout the uh, infotainment system. And uh, they're just white backed gauges when the headlights are off. But when you turn the headlights on, they turn green just like they would in like a late 80s, early 90s Fox Body Mustang. Uh, it is way cool. And you know, if I own one of these, I would probably probably be running around with it in that, that view most of the time uh, just because it is so cool and so retro. And uh, we need more cars to do things like that. Bring back the retro gauges now that we have a digital cluster that can basically do whatever you program it to do. Totally love it. My parents had a 82, 83, 84 Fox body, somewhere in there. And I do remember, um, I think it was that timeline, but it was a Fox body. And I remember the digital cluster and I remember... I love that car. It went through, I think, two transmissions, though, or something. Uh, quality reliability in the early 80s was not great. <laughs> Let's put it that way. On, you know, if you got a bad car, you got a bad car. But, um, man, I remember that car. I loved it. They loved it, too. But they were just like, you know, you can't budget a new, you know, major piece of the powertrain into, a, <laughs> you know, a, a young family budget. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I'm with you. I would roll around like that all day long. So I see the Fox body kind of getting its due, if you will, kind of as an aside here. It's it's absolutely come back. Values on them are going up. I remember when you could get like a, an old Fox body uh, GT with uh, like in decent condition for maybe like four or five grand. Yeah. Not happening these days. Yeah. And I think that Ford is recognizing that and giving us a little bone with, with the new Mustang. <laughs> well, it's it's also as like, you know, like, population like you know is ages and people come into like uh like sort of their prime car buying years they remember cars of either their youth their parents or their like their teen years college years and for a lot of people now that age is turning to be the 80s and the 90s you know as opposed to like you know more like the dream cruise era of like 50s and 60s it's like you know, I mean, time marches on and suddenly the 80s are a very long time ago and, you know, people want this kind of nostalgia. So, uh, I, I'm very excited to drive the new Mustang. I think it's uh, and it's going to be a winner. I think they did exactly what they had to do. And it sounds like, uh, and by that, I mean, they, they stayed the course, but they changed it just enough that it's interesting. And it sounds like the interior is, uh, was well executed. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I really don't have any big complaints after crawling all through it. Um, you know, there there could certainly be some people that are displeased about the fully digital experience, but I'm I'm certainly uh, a fan of, of of what's going on here. So they didn't yeah. uh, completely change it. It still feels like a Mustang for those that are worried about that. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Well, let's talk about the Cadillac CT5. Uh, Blackwing refresh. I honestly can't believe we're already due for a refresh um, for the Blackwings already. You know, I just, I drove uh, the CT5 last fall and I remember thinking, this is awesome. This is just red meat and potatoes, you know, muscle sedan in a luxury package. Uh, it's, it's not really what I think Cadillac is going to be doing for all that much longer. You know, they're definitely moving to a, you know, fully electrified strategy. And they're even moving away kind of from this sort of like really like in your face demeanor. You know, if you look at like the Lyric, uh, the, well, the Celestic is pretty over the top, but even some of the crossovers, they're not quite of just the aura that, you know, the CT4 and the CT5, especially in the Blackwing editions bring. Um, 
but they're refreshing them. It looks like a pretty significant like refresh, quote unquote, up front. If you can try to see beyond the camo here in these spy shots. Um, so I'll be interested to see what they do. This is kind of a strange comparison, but when you look at the Hyundai Palisade, it was a pretty good looking you know, SUV. And then they changed it for the refresh because you got to change it for the refresh. So once they peel back all this camo, I'll be curious to see like, is this a slightly good change or a slightly bad change? You know? So we'll see. Yeah. I, just like you, I was frankly shocked to see these spy shots roll into our inbox the other day. I was like, the CT5e Blackwing is already being refreshed. I feel like we just did the first drive of this thing like a year ago. Um, we did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, here it is. Um, I guess uh, if, if, if you bought one, uh, sorry, there's already a newer one coming out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, certainly looks a little more aggressive up front. And uh, from... From the rumors that uh, I've I've seen poking around online, it looks like the, the even bigger changes will be coming inside. Mm -hmm. um, the CT5 in general, in, including the Blackwing, are getting a, a fairly big interior refresh where instead of the separate cluster and infotainment system, they're going to get Cadillac's wall of screens, mm. uh, similar to like what we see in the Lyric or uh, even like the uh, just refreshed X-T4. Um, so that'll, you know, that, that was sort of like the one knock on these cars. If you're going to knock it for anything is that it just didn't feel as premium inside as say like yeah. an E63 sedan or BMW M5. Um, theoretically, uh, this would sort of amp up the luxury feeling inside the thing. Um, not as though the car needs much to like be better. Like I would still recommend it over pretty much anything else in this segment. As far as like a four-door sports sedan with crazy power um but yeah this will probably just make the ct5e blackwing even more uh difficult to beat so yeah i'm i'm excited for it and uh it's I, i'm more or less excited that cadillac is just gonna like keep making these things like a, a manual supercharged v8 sedan in the mid 2020s here 2023 is not uh you know, it's 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 a bit of a rare bird to see them still mm -hmm. looking to develop it and bring it forward for years to come. Has me excited. That is the uh, and perhaps we maybe buried the headline a little bit here, but uh, we do expect that 6.2 liter supercharged V8 to stay the course. Which, I mean, you know, I, I'm all about electric, but you really can't beat a 6.2 liter supercharged V8. That is, that's awesome. Plus a manual transmission. Manual Nobody else gearbox. offers a manual in in this luxury class like this. It's uh, it's it's one of a kind right now. So yeah, <laughs> keep it going, Cadillac. Keep it going as long as you can. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So speaking of continuations, the AC Cobra uh, continues. Subtle design tweaks. Uh, supercharged V eight, six hundred fifty four horsepower. So that is going on. Uh, you know, a little bit of a history lesson. A lot of people see this car and you think Shelby. Uh, Shelby American actually sourced sort of the, the car, the body from AC cars in the UK back, you know, 50, almost 60 years ago. So uh, that company is still around in some form. And, you know, this is, this is around. It's a Cobra GT Roadster. So it's, again, this is like a, a modern vehicle, if you will, such as it is, uh, but it has the totally retro design. Um, so we're looking for a full reveal in April 2023. Um, I think that'll be interesting. That probably isn't the New York Auto Show, although, man, that would be awesome if they did. Who knows? Um, so and you can get a six-speed manual transmission with this car. That was the, you know, the the, the cohesion I was looking for with this and the Blackwing, uh, even though they're two entirely different beasts. But I think this is cool. I'm glad this is still available in this day and age. Uh, I just watched Ford vs. Ferrari, which had the Shelbys in them. But just this design is, it's really held up over the years. I remember, this is quite a few years ago, and I'm forgetting who named it. So this is kind of a half-baked story here. But somebody named the... Uh, you know, the Shelby as one of the most iconic designs 
of like, you know, all time for American. And I'm looking at that like, well, is that really an American design? Like technically that's a British design. Um, so, I mean, sure, Shelby's as American as, you know, apple pie, but um, it's kind of some British roots and they're continuing. British design made famous in America. Um, this this thing is is really like almost exactly what I would expect like uh, an old Shelby Cobra resto mod would look yeah. like today. You know, it it has all of the uh, the modern touches: LED headlights, LED tail lights, uh, big brakes that uh, actually work, some really sticky Michelin rubber on it. Um, a modern engine. It has the yeah. five liter Coyote V eight in it. With a supercharger attached to it, of course. I feel like they've done that play once or twice before, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Stick a Ford V8 in a AC Cobra. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I've I've seen this movie before. Exactly, exactly. But uh, no, I mean, this it's it's a resto mod, but I feel like it's it's made even cooler because well, it's AC that's it's actually doing the dang yeah, thing. Yeah, that's nice. So you know, you you get it from uh, as much of an original equipment manufacturer as as it gets when it comes to uh, Cobras. Um, now, will it be as as deadly and as uh, just absolutely crazy as as the old one? Um, I'm guessing not. I'm guessing it'll have some sort of traction control. Um, so that'll be neat. And it looks like you can get it with an automatic transmission too, which uh, I don't know. I don't think I would do if, if if I'm out there buying a Cobra. But one one could do it if if they feel like it. Um, Three hundred forty-two thousand dollars honestly seems about right. How much does a like a real Shelby Cobra cost these days? Uh, definitely into the six figures, like deep six figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean if 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 you love this if you love this look. Um, and you you want all of the modern day performance? This this kind of looks like it. I hope that they build it because um, it looks like it's coming soon. And hopefully they build enough for people uh, that everybody can get one that they want one. So I'd love to see this rolling around Woodward. It'd be so cool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, yeah, I can't wait to see more news out of uh, out of Ace. It's kind of cool. It's kind of it, like I said, it's fun to be you know, talking about this in 2023. So, um, let's uh, shift over to uh, the Porsche 911 GT2 RS. Rumors uh, from Autocar is that it's going to get some hybrid uh, running gear to enhance performance. Um, I think this is just really a natural evolution. Like, Porsche is actually quite good at hybrids and electrification. Uh, They use it for performance a little more than you know, like say Tesla does, if you will, as far as more like electrification and efficiency, although Tesla does do it with performance. Uh, but again, Porsche is all about the performance. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, it could really get that total system horsepower rating up to a, you know, uh, you know, a lofty figure, let's put it that. But what say you? Yeah. I mean, this rumor of of the 911 going to a hybrid powertrain, I feel has been kicked around for a few years now at this point. Yeah. Um, in, in, in a few different forms. Um, this one to me, it seems like the, uh, the most reputable, the most likely to actually occur just cause it, it really jives with my thinking of like, all right, where should the 911 go hybrid first? The idea here is the GT2 RS, which mm-hmm. is, the craziest, highest horsepower 911 that exists out there. And it's sort of like a test bed, an experimental model to a certain degree. And that like this, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not one of the core models, like a 911 turbo, a regular 911 Carrera, even the GT3. Uh, This is like a super low production, low volume, um, throw, throw the entire book at it, throw every single thing that we have at it sort of car. Uh, that's that's what it's been in the past, and if if there's any place to uh, introduce 911 buyers to the idea of the 911 having a hybrid, this feels like the place to do it. Like you can you can spend as much money as you want. Like this this car will be an untold sum of cash to buy, and none of the buyers will care. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can just make this hybrid incredible. Porsche has proved that they can do that in the past. They have plenty of hybrid electric cars, just like you said. Um, 
But the uh, key here really is just going to be keeping that weight down to like, all right, this is an RS model. You know, is it still going to be good for the track? And <clears throat> coming up with a car that is actually better on the track because of that hybrid system than the previous GT2 RS. So if anybody can do that, I believe that Porsche has the ability to do so. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all for this rumor, and I kind of hope it's true because this is yeah. this is a, a nice feel like an easy way to ease us into hybrid 911s, which I suspect for the next generation uh, that comes around, we're probably going to be looking at that um, more more hybrid than non hybrid 911s. So we'll we'll see if this rumor ends up being true or not. <laughs> They have been talking about, you know, Porsche hybrids for like almost a decade, you know, regarding the 911. Um, you know, I, I remember interviewing their, the then Porsche CEO at uh, a European car show. I forget. I think it was Geneva. Might have been Frankfurt. Could have been Paris. I, I was fortunate to go to a lot of, a lot of these shows back in the day. But I remember I asked them point blank about like the sports car hybrid and electrification strategy. And you know, he said something that I believe was in German that was kind of lost in translation, then he kind of walked it back. But this has really been on their minds for a long time. And I think like the GT2 RS is a is a good starting point. You raise a really good point. Just as like, how do you get into this without maybe alienating some people? How do you do it right? And like this specific 911 is so purpose-built. It's so, uh, it has such a focused mission that when you're going to add some hybrid technology to it, you know, you've got to think, how does it work to achieve what we try to do with this car? Because it only has like, you know, one, one and a half goals, if you will, which is to be wicked awesome on the track. So that added weight has to be distributed properly. Um, and then you have to look at how the, you know, the electric components increase performance. So I, I agree with you. I think that's a really salient point there that you know, this is a good way to kind of dip your toes into it. And then, you know, as you look at like, you know, more mainstream 911s, well, how does, how do you roll out some of this technology or similar technologies? And, you know, I think if the 911 GT2 RS buyers can get on board with it, my guess is some of the other 911 buyers will as well. Yep. And then Porsche can go ahead and say, all right, yeah, we sort of derived our new 911 Carrera hybrid tech from yeah. the 911 GT2 RS hybrid tech. Exactly. So you're, you're getting the RS stuff. This is great. This is good. Um, it all it all just meshes and works together well. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We have the story. We have some good, good context in there. If you want to see the original story, it was on Autocar. It was written by Greg Cable, who I used to work with at Auto Week. He was sort of like the, the scooper extraordinaire. He knows, he knows everything. Uh, let's put it that way. And a lot of it's true. So, you know, check it out. He's a great journalist, a uh, great European motoring journalist. Uh, so, you know, head over to Autocar too. Got to give them a shout out for their original scoop. Um, speaking of um, performance, uh, just segue over to F1. What'd you think of the race? Man, it uh, looks like Red Bull is pretty unbeatable right now mm -hmm. this year. Uh, they're looking a little bit like Mercedes did in their God, like seven, eight year run of yeah. uh, constant world championships um right now i honestly it's 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 tough to see many many people coming up and trying to challenge red bull uh i even saw that uh red bull had both max and sergio turn their engines down with like about 10 laps oh, left to go in the race like yeah so you guys can go ahead and target a time that's a uh, about a second slower per lap than what you've been doing because nobody's going to catch you <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I, I would be scared to see what, what would have happened if they had uh, turned it up and gone full at it the whole time because nobody was even close to them at the end of the race. Um, the only person that uh, was on the podium other than a Red Bull was definitely the most exciting part of the race, though, with Fernando Alonso. Um, definitely. He, uh, he might be the one that could save this season uh, as far as making it exciting to watch. So huge pass on Lewis Hamilton, huge pass on uh, Carlos Sainz there toward the end. Um, dude is, I believe, uh, 41 years old now and just racing the wheels off of that Aston Martin. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, that, that has me most excited about this season is just seeing where Aston goes. Um, 
where can they go with updates? Can they get anywhere close to Red Bull or not? Um, we'll see. <laughs> what did yeah. you think about it? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I agree with you. That dramatic pass there on lap 46 uh, by Alonzo to pass uh, uh, Signs, who's got to be like maybe a little over half his age. You know, I mean, that was, <laughs> yeah. that was cool. Um, you know, I think it's nice to see sort of this generation of uh, last generation of F1 drivers like, you know, like Alonzo and Hamilton still kind of hanging in there. Like, you know, with Vettel retiring, um, who I, I kind of wonder if he might come back at some point. It seems like a lot of times, you know, you know, F1 drivers sort of pull the Tom Brady and find a reason to come back in a year or two, uh, which I think would be great. But um, it was nice to see, you know, a veteran, let's put it that way, uh, have such a great race. I, don't, I didn't expect this out of the Aston team. Did you? I was a little so surprised. It was, it was definitely a surprise coming into preseason testing. Like I, the, all the rumors around preseason testing was that like Aston Martin was like creepily fast because they were setting mm -hmm. really good times. Like Fernando was topping the timesheets and everybody was like, all right, maybe it's real, maybe it isn't. This is preseason testing. It's practice. This, you know, everybody has their engines turned down. Maybe it's not, not for real. But Aston Martin came out and did it in the race. You know, everybody was was going at it. And, uh, I mean, Fernando passed both Lewis Hamilton and Carlos Sainz on track. Um, it's not like one had a huge advantage over the other. The Aston was just quicker. Um, so, that's, that's really cool to see, you know, we got to get Lance Stroll up there. Uh, hopefully, he's recovered from the uh, the cycling incident that he had before, and he'll be able to get up there with uh, Fernando and challenge the Mercedes and challenge the Ferraris. Uh, but we could have a really interesting fight on our hands for second, and third place here, as far as the constructors go, because Ferrari does not look like a clear second place team right now. Uh, we saw Charles Leclerc actually went out for from an engine failure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's wide open right now as far as who's, who's taken second. Um, there have to be a lot of changes from somebody to try and challenge Red Bull for first though. This in some ways reminds me of back when like, you know, Vettel was at Red Bull, you know, 10 plus years ago and they were just really rolling just the aura that they have again in the, the team does look unbeatable, but I also kind of wonder if. You know, in all sports, a team looks invincible. And then after like, you know, a race or two or a game or two, like something happens. So, I mean, I'm not ready to just be like to crown Max already. But I mean, if I were a betting man, clearly he's he looks, you know, very amazing. Let's put it that way. But I don't know. I think there'll be some wrinkles here. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody else could get into the fight here and at least make it a little more interesting. So, yeah. I mean, you never know with reliability issues. Uh, obviously, you know, Ferrari had a ton of those last year. Does Red Bull have this car fully sorted for this year? I'm sure they'd like to think so, but you, you, you never really know what, what could happen. Um, yeah. Just, you know, Ferrari had a car that was ridiculously fast last year. But they just, they couldn't do it. They were not good enough strategy-wise or reliability-wise to keep the car on track and actually win races. Um, Red Bull has definitely proven that they can do it in the past. Um, but they don't just hand you the trophies for every race. They actually got to go out yeah. there and race and win them. Um, so, no, there's there are a lot of fun storylines, I feel, so far here. I mean, Aston Martin is definitely the uh, most interesting. But... Uh, like on, on the other side of the grid, McLaren's performance was almost like just as shockingly terrible as mm -hmm. Red Bull's was shockingly good. Um, mm -hmm. And that was that was just brutal watching McLaren um, watch Lando Norris go into the pits five times. I feel like he yeah. came close to breaking a record for most pit stops in a race. <laughs> <laughs> Having to yeah. uh, keep worrying about the hydraulics of that car. And yeah, man, that was... That was brutal watching it and Oscar Piastri going out. Um, they have a lot of work to do down there. It was it, it was actually kind of brutal watching the broadcast because they, they, they keep going back to Zach Brown. <laughs> they were uh, talking to him on, on the pit wall throughout the race and it's like, oh my God, McLaren's just having the worst race of their lives right now. And the uh, TV has, has decided it's Zach Brown day. 
So, <laughs> oh man, yeah, fun race yeah. to watch though. I was I was entertained the whole way through. Yeah, Bahrain is always spectacular. Like at night with the lights, the dramatic like camera angles. I don't know if that's like drone footage they're using or however they get it, but it's really just a spectacular race to watch, I think. Um, just my viewing habits this week, I recorded it and I've kind of been parsing it out throughout the week. Uh, my preferred way to do it is actually to watch the races live, especially when they're like European. I think it's a great way to wake up with a cup of coffee and kind of just like let your senses come to as you, um, you know, as you get into the race. But um, yeah, yeah, this one was nice. It was it, it started at 10 a.m. Not everyone yeah. will be that way. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, so follow along uh, on Autoblog all season. We're going to have the race reports. We're going to try to actually expand our F1 coverage a little bit this year. You know, we're not going to be Autosport. We get that. But try to bring you some special features. A lot of our editors are actually pretty big fans of Formula One. Not a lot. Almost all of them are. And, you know, we're going to bring some, some of our own expert analysis, such as it is. And... Man, I, I hope to get to a Grand Prix this year. I would love to get to maybe the one up in Montreal. Miami is one we've talked about. I wouldn't say no to Vegas, Austin, uh, any of the ones that um, you know that are out there. I guess is Vegas on the circuit this year, Zach? Am I Vegas is on? Vegas, Vegas is, on. is on. Oh man, yeah, it's the uh, the most expensive Grand Prix ticket of the year. Doesn't matter where you go in the world. You're gonna pay more in Vegas this year. <laughs> I mean, what else is new, right? Formula One right. just in general, Vegas, but... Yep, it's where you go to lose your money. So, instead of losing your money at a casino, yeah. just spend it all on the race. <laughs> Maybe the Vegas might be the closest thing we get to like Monte Carlo, if you will, on the domestic circuit for a variety of reasons. Oh, yeah. I guarantee all the celebrities will be there, all the big names. It's going to be a spectacle. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, let's talk about some of the cars we've been driving uh, and we've been in some interesting ones. Uh, I will lead things off with the long-term Kia EV6. I just passed the key fob over to news editor Joel Stocksdale, who I charged it. I quick charged it. Then he went to, he had to do a bit of errands, including one to like Toledo, Ohio. So he topped it off again. Uh, that thing's, we're working out the battery. Let's put it that way. Um, but man, I'll miss it. It was, to me, it was like a great, like, I mean, just to break this down a couple different ways, I loved how it looked. It's a crossover, but it's still relatively kind of low slung. It looks like a sport wagon to me in a way that like you just don't see very much. I get why they had to call it a crossover, a utility vehicle. Hell, it won utility vehicle of the year from Nactoy, North American car truck, uh, an SUV of the year. But I mean, to me, this really felt like a, a sporty kind of wagon. Um, you know, they did just enough to make it a crossover, which you got to do in this day and age. Um, you know, they could have even, you know, they've done some more things, which, you know, they did. Joel drove the, uh, you know, the crazy powered one. Uh, I forget where he actually drove it, but, you know, that's there if you want it. Um, but just, you know, our long-termer is really, it's a gem, you know, it's, it's pretty functional. You could plenty of room in the back. Um, I didn't really have any major issues charging with it, which, you know, I mean, charging just in general is hit or miss. Yesterday, at like over 100 kilowatt hours, it was just ripping. I was able to top it off pretty quick, up to 80 plus percent for Joel it, without spending all day there. It was a nice sunny day. I dropped it into winter mode to kind of prep the battery, which was good because it was still quite cold. Um, and thanks to you, Zach, you went on Amazon and grabbed this like a level one charger. So, that actually worked out pretty good for me as well. I um, plugged in my just standard outlet in the garage, left it there like all day Sunday. You know, we're, I was like walking the dog, we're in the front yard, in the backyard, just around the house. So, like just I didn't mind running that cord from the garage to the car in the driveway. Um, and I got, I think I got about 20 miles of range. So, that was yeah. not bad. So. That's that's good to hear that the level one works out. Um, and I feel like for a lot of people that honestly could work out. Like if you don't drive more than like 20 to 30 miles a day, yeah. that's about how many miles you're going to recoup from that level one charger. Um, and okay, maybe, maybe you want that level two charger to get much quicker charging at home, but mm. 
I have a feeling a lot of use cases, you might not even need it if you're not a really heavy driver. Yeah, it really depends too, like, what is your personal grid like? Do you, what do you have at home? What do you have at the office? Do you live close to something on the charging network? Um, you know, do you have a DC fast charger close to you? Because that can really make a difference. I, um, I was very confident letting it run down because I know there's a fast charger that's fairly close. And it usually works pretty well. The worst experience I had was a very cold day. I guess this was last week. It was kind of late. Um, you know, it took me a good 45 minutes just to get anywhere. And it took a minute, it seemed like for the battery or the charger to whatever, to warm up and start actually giving me significant electrons. But, um, I mean, the charging has been pretty good. It's, I, I still enjoy like, Hey, it's lunchtime. I need to go charge the car, you know? Um, you know, I think that's still fun. That's still a novelty. Like I don't look and say, "Oh, hey, it's lunchtime. Need to I need to go gas up the, uh, you know, the Chevy." That's not something that I look forward to. But <laughs> oh, yeah, let's go do a charge. Let's see how it goes. That's fun, you know. So I will. It's a very solid car. Very, very good um, execution for Kia. I I think it's very impressive how they were able to me nail the design and also have a really solid execution with powertrain, the range, um, they're well positioned. You know, just even this summer, I think, you know, we're going to see significant gains in the infrastructure for charging. I know here in Michigan, they've talked about adding chargers on 75, which is sort of like the main thoroughfare that connects everything from like the state line all the way into the UP. So, you know, more to come. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, and we're—I also just mentioned—we're we're going on eight months with this car, um, no big issues to speak of. Yeah, um, you know this is—I know that going and dipping your toes into uh, a brand new EV, totally new powertrain technology can be a little scary. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, our experience has been like virtually seamless with this thing, um, and it's—it's it's cost us even less than uh, most gas cars to run. Because we haven't had to do an oil change, <laughs> yeah. so no oil change, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just been been super easy and chill to run. So that's that's really really been on 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 the up and up. There are no horror stories to speak of. It's uh, it's just been seamless adding a uh, an electric long termer to the fleet, which I'm really glad to see. Sounds good. Can't wait to uh, add another one. Um, Same. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the X7 M60i. You spent some time in that. What did you think? I did. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge X7 fan. Okay. Um, That's interesting. This, I don't hear that every day. I know. I honestly, I mean, if, if, if I had to like go and rank like cars in the BMW lineup that like execute and do their job really well, like the, the X7 is frankly one of their best products to me. Um, as, as far as like three row SUVs in this, in this area, um, I would probably recommend the X7 over pretty much everything. Um, and I specifically drove the M60i model, which is the, uh, the hot performance version of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it is indeed a true hot performance model of a wow. big three-row SUV. It's a lot of fun to drive. It has that 4.4 liter twin turbo V8, 523 horsepower, 553 pound-feet of torque. The thing gets up and moves. It sounds great. Uh, you get some good... Uh, burbling and crackling from the exhaust. Uh, you know, it, it feels like a bit of an event to drive. It's not this like, you know, boring three row SUV. It's, uh, it's, it's a BMW through and through and that the thing is clearly engineered to be fun and interesting to drive for enthusiasts who care about that sort of thing. Um, and in addition to it, having all those, those great elements, uh, it's also just, like executes on the idea of a three row SUV so, so well. Um, like it's, it's not just really great at handling. It rides so, so well on the highway. Uh, the air suspension, uh, really, really gives you this, this nice plush ride. Uh, and it's, it's rocking 22 inch wheels. They're not small wheels or anything. Um, but it's, it's just comfortable. I, I put a decent number of highway miles on it over my uh, few days with it. And uh, man, you could you could drive this thing a long ways with with the family in the back, second, third row filled up, 
and just feel very, very comfortable. Um, on, on the downside of this thing, uh, and I should also mention that uh, the X7 got refreshed for 2023 exterior design, interior stuff. What I'm talking about on, on the downside is the interior refreshing of this thing, uh, specifically the tech. Uh, it has BMW's new iDrive 8 interface with their curved display. It looks beautiful. It looks looks really nice. Um, uh, it looks expensive. It uh, It's rather responsive. It has all the good screen things that you might like. It's just the, the UI is frustrating. Uh, so, so frustrating. Yeah. Previously, BMW's old interface, you could get to certain things with just a tap of a physical button, like a heated seat button, or the tap of the traction control button to go into sport traction. Uh, if you want to change your uh, heated steering wheel, boom, there's just a button on the steering wheel. That's no longer the case. Um, it takes so many button presses to get to things, um, which is not luxurious in any way. It's, it's annoying to do while you're driving annoying to do when you first start the car up and the screen is loading up and it's like I just want the heated seats on right now um, yeah it's a and unfortunately like getting rid of all those buttons has like taken away from the interior experience to me uh, and the uh, the prettiness of that curved screen is just it's not making up for it at all um, but that's that's really like my one complaint about the x7 like everything else about this thing is just fantastic. Um, I, I even love the design. The one that I had was this crazy Marina Bay blue frozen. Mm. It's like a matte paint, um, thing. I mean, I had multiple people throughout the week ask me like, is this a wrap? Um, because yeah, it like, it looks, it, it honestly, to a certain degree, it, it looks like it, it could be a wrap, like a really nice wrap. But, uh, but no, then you say it's paint and everybody's like, oh, wow, this is, this is a crazy paint job that you can get from the factory from, from BMW. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I, uh, like I sort of said off the start, like I have very, uh, very few things to say that are not glowing praise for the X7 and, uh, M60i is, is, is definitely my favorite just because it has that, that awesome rumbling V8. So great, great week in it. <laughs> I feel like we've we're really kind of like boomeranging between like electrics takes on electrics and then like rocket ship like V8s uh in this podcast which is hey, it's not we bad are. you know <laughs> it's a time of transition right you know so we absolutely are and you know what both are great both have their merits <laughs> indeed car and driver got this thing to 60 in 3.8 seconds uh did you do that and does it feel that quick it genuinely does feel that quick. Um, and one thing like from, okay. from the refresh that, uh, is, is even better. So I, I, I drove the pre-refresh one of these like three or four years ago. Uh, they, they gave it a new eight speed ZF transmission. Um, yeah. and it's like, it's noticeable. Like the, the shifts when you're in sport plus mode are far more pronounced. Uh, you really feel like you're, you know, slamming the paddles and the car responds to it. Uh, it's far more sporty and engaging than you would expect from a three-row family SUV. Um, just sort of adds to the drama of the M60i. Um, this it, it's not boring to drive. It's it's genuinely fun to drive. <laughs> okay. Now this is you know the X7 is. I don't think we have too many people who truly dislike it, but it's not really. I don't know. It doesn't seem to have strong support in our editor, like sort of ranks. Maybe you could be the one who builds some momentum. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. <laughs> Everybody has, you know, their preferences and like what resonates with them. It's been a minute, honestly, since somebody has had a strong take on particularly liking the X7. I'm, I'm wondering if the M60 treatment is giving you, you know, a little bit more good feelings, if you will, of it. Uh, if so, that's great. That's what it's supposed to do. Um, I, I, I will say this. I'm kind of with you. I generally have liked the vibe that the X5 and the X7 give like their owners as opposed to some of the other like Mercedes or Audi or Acura SUVs. Um, I just, I kind of like the feeling you get, uh, if you will. Like it's the steering, the design, uh, some of the interior layouts. Um, it does resonate with me. So you're not, you're not on an Island. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Most of the beef I feel 
from others is is about the design. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I think if the big grill works on any BMW more than others, yeah. it's the X7. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's proportional to the face. Uh, you know, it's a it's a flagship for all intents and purposes. They they sell more of these than they do seven series by mm-hmm. a long shot. Um, and uh, you know, it it should have like this this big royal. Uh, hey, I'm a BMW face, and uh, it fits. It fits, and I really like the refresh touches that they made to it. Um, and uh, to your point about like the the the, the M60i, yeah, sure, I really do like the V8. But uh, I drove the pre-refresh version of the X7 with the inline six. That thing's really sweet too. Uh, it's it, it's so hard to fault the BMW inline six. Um, and uh, you know, going zero to sixty in the low fives versus this one current driver did three eight that ain't so bad uh that's still that's still pretty dang quick for a pretty large family vehicle um yeah and it sounds so sweet too so i'd i'd recommend either one um, okay truthfully fair enough fair enough would you re- recommend the toyota corolla cross that is a tougher sell <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh yeah. man um a bit of a speed no. bump there yeah, yeah, definite speed bump with the Toyota Corolla Cross. Um, you know, if if there's a car where the definition of like it's fine applies to it, I feel like the Toyota Corolla Cross embodies that. Um, it's not a bad car, so to speak, um, but uh, it just it just does everything to an acceptable degree. Um, it has it has the tech that you'd expect from it. it has a nice little infotainment system, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. Digital cluster, heated seats. The one that I'm driving is the XLE. Costs over twenty-seven thousand um, dollars. But uh, you know, it's this car sort of it, it exists because the Rav Four is so dang huge these days. So, well, here's here's a little little Toyota that's that's a bit smaller. Um, still has very usable back seat space. Pretty large trunk. Um, but uh, now, where where it really starts to get away from me is driving the thing. Um, it has, has a two liter four cylinder with a, a CVT and very little sound deadening. Uh, it's just buzzy, buzzy, buzzy. Um, is, I mean, it, it, it maybe, you know, I say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on the throttle a little, well, you really do have to get on the throttle to make it accelerate because it ain't that quick. So even if just, just trying to keep up with traffic, you're going to get the CVT going to rubber band high up into the revs and. It's a very unrefined experience. Um, it's uh, you know feels feels its price. So the, the the handling is nothing to write home about. It rides, you know, it's 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 plush enough. Uh, I've 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 sort of been calling it the uh, college grad special. Okay. It's almost it feels like it's 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 a car for somebody. You know, you just got out of college. You want something that can hold all your stuff in the back, maybe a couple friends, something that's super cheap that has, uh, you know, tech like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, but you you don't really care about the way it drives. You're not super, you know, concerned about, uh, you know, steering feel or handling feedback. Uh, you know, this is, this is a car that does all those things. You know, it checks a lot of boxes. Um, but it doesn't do it with the uh, the same excitement that say like a Mazda CX-30 does it. Doesn't have the styling presence of say like a Kia Seltos. Um, it's definitely not as even fun to drive as a Kia Seltos with its turbocharged engine, dual clutch transmission, and that thing. Um, and uh, yeah, there's 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 just a lot of other cars that also do all of these like basic things, you know, right and well, and they also drive better than the Corolla Cross. And that's that's sort of where I land on the thing. And that, you know, sure, does it do a lot of the things, you know, that it needs to do right? Yeah, but it just there there are other cars that do all of those things, and they drive well and make you a lot happier than the Corolla Cross will. Okay. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a very thorough take. Let me put it that way. And that's how I often <laughs> feel when I drive something that. Um, doesn't resonate with me. Like you can see, okay, this is might be the right car for you know X Y Z person, or but here's some of the shortcomings. Here's some of the good good parts. I mean, that's part of the job, you know, you know, reviewing the cars. And you know, I, I haven't driven the Corolla Cross, but I 
it's not really on my short list of things to get into. Let me put it that way. Um, there's a lot of things I've really fired up to drive this year, whether they're performance, whether they're electric, whether they're just interesting, they're new, that type of thing. I'm really psyched to drive a number of minivans, but yeah, um, you know, we'll see if that Corolla Cross makes it way its way over here. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I uh, wouldn't be too enthused about it. The the one saving grace for this thing that is is coming is that they're going to make a Corolla Cross hybrid. Okay. Um, and that, that to me, ha will have some real appeal, you know, because that is going to be a very efficient small yeah. crossover. This thing, ah, it's just a regular two-liter four-cylinder. It gets the standard fuel economy that everything else in this segment gets. Uh, throw a hybrid at this, though, and I bet you're going to get in the 40s, uh, yeah. which, is, which is pretty darn impressive for a vehicle that can hold as many people and carry as much stuff as this. Um, so it, it needs something like that to get me excited about it. Cause as is, it's just a, it's a very budget oriented vehicle that others beat. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a fair take. Should we spend some money? Let's spend some money. It's a All good right. one this week. It looks like. This is a good one. All right. Ron writes in, Hey there, I really enjoy the spend my money portion of the podcast. And I find myself in a quandary over my next vehicle. Currently drive a 2013 Audi Q5 with a buck 20 on the clock. I plan to look for an EV in the fall. Okay, here's the catch. He's not really a new car buyer. He wants to get a used luxury SUV. Requirements, under 40 grand, precise handling, hopefully, hopefully under $50,000 uh, price tag with great styling and a quiet cabin. He lives in North Carolina. Very seldom take road trips over three hours. He works from home. So he's not a high mileage guy. That means you're going to have some flexibility, I think, when you're looking uh, as far as like exactly what kind of EV might work for you. Also, I don't haul more than one or two people or lots of things. He's a fan of the Jaguar I-Pace and he's driven one. With so many other cars out there now and the used market growing, I thought this would be a good ask. This is a great ask. Thank you for writing, Ron. Um, a lot of things come to mind here. It's a really interesting time to be in the market for something exactly like this. Um, just to jump in here real quick, I do like the I-Pace as a potential candidate. I think uh, you're on the right track. If you drive it, you like it, that could be the right vehicle for you. I really was taken by the design. Uh, it does offer respectable range and nobody's going to say, hey, this Jaguar is not a cool electric vehicle. So I think you've already got like, I think a really strong comp. And then there's a number of things you could kind of toss in there as you make your decision. But what say you, Zach? Yeah, man, the, the, the I-Pace is, is definitely a good one if you're, if you're looking for like that precise handling and great design because, you know, there, there are very few EVs out there that I feel look as unique and striking as, as the I-Pace. And uh, I, I drove one for the first time about a year ago. Okay. I actually did a pretty large road trip in one. Um, and the thing is surprisingly fun to drive. Um, it, it doesn't really drive like an SUV. It drives like, a, you know, sort of a slightly lifted hatchback. Um, mm -hmm. More more car-like than SUV-like, which I'm guessing is why you like it so much. Um, but I'm also going to throw two other alternatives out there. Let's do it. Uh, that are right around your $50,000 range. Um, one that'll crest it, one that'll probably even be below it if you're looking at uh, uh, a, a used car. Um the one that I'm going to say that will stretch your budget a little uh, is a BMW i4, okay. uh, specifically the eDrive 40. Um, those have been out now for about a year at this point, so you can go find a used one. Uh, I, I did some research on prices, and it looks like you can get one. Um, none of them are really high miles at this point. The mm -hmm. most miles I've seen on one are like 10 to 15,000 miles. Um, and those are in the low fifties. Uh, you can, you can get them between like 54, $56,000. Um, so just above that $50,000 mark. Um, but I think that it's going to hit every single one of your requirements here. Um, great styling. I love the grand coupe look. Uh, you obviously don't need to carry more than one or two people around. Um, so that means that a sedan would, would work out just fine. Plus, uh, for those rare moments that you do have to haul stuff around, it's got a hatchback. Uh, you can put those rear seats down. It's it's super utilitarian in that way. And the i4, I'd argue, is even more fun to drive than the i-Pace. Um, 
Other than that, uh, going on the lower side of things, I would recommend the Polestar 2. Uh, and these you, these you can get for well under the $50,000 range, uh, especially if you're okay with some miles. Uh, and you can even go with, with a dual motor for the Polestar 2. That i4, you're only going to be able to get the, uh, the E-Drive 40, which is a single motor rear drive. Um, the Polestar 2 will be quicker. Um, not quite as luxurious as the BMW on the inside. It's a little more pared back with that uh, Swedish styling that we're used to from Volvo and Polestar. Um, but it's still a luxury vehicle. It still feels premium inside. Uh, and it also hits the fun to drive uh, angle too. Uh, I drove a Polestar 2 probably about a year and a half ago at this point. Thing is shockingly fun to drive. Um, obviously Polestar was, was derived. They've always been a performance uh, side of Volvo. Um, and they've kept that in, in the Polestar 2. And I even drove one that didn't have the performance pack with the Olins and the big brakes. Uh, and the thing was still very engaging. Could you get one with the Olins and the big brakes and it'd be even more fun? Totally. And it'd still be under $50,000. Um, so yeah, those are my sort of two, uh, that I would recommend checking out. I would definitely drive both of them if you can. Um, Polestar 2 dual motor specifically. Uh, it's really quick, uh, probably just about as quick as that I-Pace that you're looking at. And the I-4 is just going to be even more luxurious. Um, and it has a little better charging tech than the others too. It's a it's faster for fast charging. So if you go on those three-hour trips, you'll be able to get back quicker. Um, and uh, I just like the BMW look and the uh, interior tech that you get with it. So yeah, those are my two wrecks. Okay, sounds good. Those are solid ones. I think you... Uh... You know, you've been a big fan of, you know, various models from BMW in this podcast. Interesting thread trend I'm picking up. And hey, that's fair. Sometimes cars resonate with you. Yeah. I, you know, there, there are a lot of new BMWs I like. Some I don't like so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, there's, there, there's definitely been more that I like than, than dislike as of late, I think. Sounds good. Sounds good. A couple others I will throw out there that don't directly address some of the criteria, but I think it's something as you look at your search, you might be interested. You know, you can get like an EV6 or an Ionic 5, the Hyundai version, right in that like price point, like 40 grand, 50 grand. So I know you don't want to go new, but if you do, you, you could. Uh, they're also just doing some quick um, Googling. You can find like a 2022 Kia EV6 Wind. I'm seeing one here on Carfax. It's got 20,000 miles on it. That is technically a used car. Uh, it's a 2022, not technically, it is. So some of these, like the EV6 and the Ionic, uh, Ionic 5 have been out for a little bit. So some of them have hit the, the, the used market if you want to approach it that way. I would probably still stay with a new vehicle from one of these models just, just because. But if you want to go used, that's, that's there for you. Uh, the prices do seem to be pretty similar though. Uh, you might want to drive one of those just to get a <clears throat> a different take on the segment, if you will. Um, try that. So a couple other thoughts there. Um, but yeah, Ron, let us know. Let us know how you how you land. Uh, good luck with your search. Check out everything on uh, Autoblog Electric. Got to give that a plug right now. That's our hub for all things electric. We have a charging station finder on there. We're going to keep evolving that, get some more details in there. Um, all the latest electric news from Autoblog. It's all in one place. Uh, so do check that out. So that's all we have this week. It's been a great show. Good hanging out, Zach. What's your spring beer? Spring beer, man. I've got uh, an, an Omegang Trace Voss in the uh, fridge right now. Sounds uh, good. I recently went to this beverage warehouse that uh, had a wild array of stuff. It was wow. a Belgian Belgian ale that I, I'm, I'm rocking right now. It's like straddling uh between light and dark so sort of like how we're straddling winter and spring right now i feel like it's a nice fit <laughs> three to six inches of snow is apparently on tap for friday so oh, joy. Um, you know you're, you're gonna want to maybe go back uh with your winter side of that uh i've still got my case of guinness that i'm working through it's march march madness tournaments about to start uh to me guinness is this is the time you drink it when it's cold it's chilly Still, but you get a little bit of sunny, you know, it's St. Patrick's Day coming up. These are all good things in my book. Uh, but then you kind of want to be done with your Guinness by like April. Because a lot of times you get you get into April and you, it can be like shorts weather, like on April 2nd, you know, at least around here. 
And, you know, Guinness is not a summer beer. Let's put it that way. You, you kind of want to be drinking it when there's like patches of snow still on the ground. So, yeah, I might have to go break out some stouts for, for this weekend if we're going to be back inundated with the snow. Again, it sounds good. All right. And if you like the podcast, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get the show. Be safe out there. Send us your spend my money. That's podcast at autoblog.com. And we'll see you next week.